Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. It's a blessing to be here at Palmetto Baptist Church. It's a great day to be gathered in the presence of our risen Savior. Big shout out to Pastor Jimmy for letting me hold down the fort while he was gone to take care of his fatherly duties in Mississippi. We pray that Hillary and her new husband have a life full of love, passion, power, holiness, adventure, and everything that we wish for ourselves. Amen. Amen. All right. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Cool. Good stuff. All right. So with that said, let's get to work, people. Let's go to Matthew 4, 18. Matthew 4, 18. This is the second service, so I know nobody has their Bibles, right? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. We're going to watch. Wow. You ready? All right. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and, his, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Very interesting, very interesting text. All right, let's pray before we get after it. Father, we thank you so much for this appointed time, this Holy Hour, we ask you to speak truth to our hearts, help us to move past any issues that we came in here with, lift our burdens, help us to cast our cares upon you for you care for us. You know Eric, you know his limitations, so I ask you right now to be the captain of this holy moment, to make clear your people to your word and your truth. And we thank you that we will be better than how we came in that we will leave overshadowed with the power, pathos, and the peace of walking in freedom and passion that you have called us to. We pray all this in the name of the holy, matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, here we have the text, traditionally called the call of the disciples. Kind of obvious, he calls his disciples, right? This is happening right after Jesus gets out of the desert for 40 days. He's been tempted. He's been fasting, all that fun stuff. And um, I hope somebody's not laughing in my circumstance. That's what it felt like. But, um, yes, he's been fasting. And now it's time to go find his 12, his holy man, his boy band of believers, to go ahead and get this mission started for the church to come. Interestingly enough, however, Jesus does not go by the local seminary or the new rabbinic school that was opened on the corner. He doesn't go to the library. He doesn't go to the Council of Governors. He doesn't go to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Instead, we are met with Jesus strolling along the beach, and he finds two fishermen. He sees them prepping their nets for the next haul. And he calls, probably more likely yells, they're in the middle of the sea. He's, hey, what are you doing? 
Stop what you're doing, follow me. And they do. The Bible says immediately they do. Without question, I'm like, oh, okay. So some dude yelling, I'm going to go see what he's about. And then it happens again. Two different men. Okay. Let's go see what he's up to. I would argue it's not the best sales pitch that I've ever heard. If it was up to me, if I saw a stranger calling out for me, hey, saying, you know what, stop your fishing, man. You don't need any bass today. You need me to help you fish for people. I would say, no, thank you, sir. And I would row the other way. Um, and I think you, a lot of you would do the same thing. But I think something deeper happened there. I think something more powerful and more palpable happened at that moment. I find it very interesting that they left. And I find it very interesting that they left twice. But I believe they left for a couple of reasons. One, fishing is not the most lucrative business at this time. Um, a lot of people fished because it was cheap. At the end of the day, all you had to do was pay for uh, the bait, which you could go get for free, and also pay for your boat. Um, at this time, it was everybody fishing, so the market was completely swamped. They couldn't make their own prices, so the fishermen ended up being a lot of the lower people in the community because a lot of times they barely had enough to feed their families, and they barely had enough to keep fishing. But they were some of the most hard-working people in the entire community. And that is because they had a passion for taking care of their families. They had a passion for making sure that everything on the home front was okay. So they went to work every day and most nights. Why nights? Because what they argue is that uh, fish couldn't really see the nets that well in the dark, so they may catch more fish. So a lot of nights they were fishing, and every morning they were fishing. The situation is not that dis-familiar from our own. A lot of us are working jobs and have worked jobs that we hated, that we loathed. Um, and the only reason you did it is for your family. The only reason you did it is because you have little ones, you have a mother to take care of, you can't stand your job, but you have a passion to take care and to love people. And before I move on, let me give you some encouragement. Jesus sees you even when he doesn't think he does. He sees you working. He's committed to you in the hard times, and you're not by yourself. I've worked jobs that I couldn't stand before. I used to work at Mountain High Outfitters in Pont City Market. Uh, as much as I love outside and outdoors, I don't like selling outside stuff. Don't enjoy selling sleeping bags. Don't enjoy selling boots. People's feet stink. I don't like none of it. Um, and some mornings, it was all I could do just to get the work. I had a beautiful wife, a little boy on the way, and we had bills. And they came every month. Shockingly, rent, they wanted every month for whatever reason. But I had to get up. And what I would often do is just listen to Christian music and Disney in the car. Uh, as I said earlier, is, uh, there's nothing like going to work with a broken heart, listening to Toy Stories, You Got a Friend in Me, on the way to make the tears feel a little bit less heavy. Uh, and I said all this to say this. I believe they got out of the boats for the same reason they got into the boats every morning. That was passion. Passion, what is it? 
from the Latin passionum, which means to suffer or to endure. Passion, truthfully, has the ability to move people past current circumstances. I believe in my theological mind that Peter and the rest of the disciples heard a stranger's voice, but felt an inward, eternal familiarity, and with it aroused the passion on the inside of them that only happens when what you've been searching for your entire life finds you. And in an instant, without question, without circumstance, they knew what was ahead of them was more purposeful and worth suffering for than what was behind them. So, immediately, they dropped their nets, got out of the boat, and followed Jesus. The sons of Zebedee left their daddy in the boat, stranded, I'm assuming, right? All right, Dad, it's time to go. It's good knowing you. There's this dude on the shore, and uh, I think what's in front of me may be better than what's behind me. It's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful moment when you know that you are doing what God has called you to do, when everything in you tells you to go, and you go. There are many examples of passion in our society. Um, There are a lot of parents, a lot of friends, a lot of people who do things simply for passion and for the love of people and for the love of purpose. The most uh, important one that I can think of at this point, obviously you gave it away, is Kobe Bryant. Um, Kobe Bryant, you all know, passed recently, but there are so many stories commemorating his legacy and his mindset and his passion for greatness. One story sticks out to me that was told um, on ESPN about Kobe Bryant. He was early in his career And every morning, he used to get up at 5 a.m. to shoot shots. And one day, um, an opposition came down while he was doing his workouts. And he saw Kobe going as hard as he does in the game. So he decided to go practice. He shoots his shots. But when he's done, he still sees Kobe going as hard as he was going at 5 o'clock in the morning. And he's just like, all right, cool. And at the end of the game, after Kobe had scored however many points on the opposing team, he asked him, what was going on this morning? And Kobe responded, paraphrasing, that I needed you to know that I was willing to sacrifice more than what you were willing to sacrifice to get to greatness. I think power is something that, passion is something that pushes us to greatness. So I have a few points about prioritizing passion and what does that look like. First point, passion energizes your purpose. Passion energizes your purpose. Life gets hard. It will get hard. If it hasn't gotten hard, live long enough, it will. It's not your fault. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. But when you're passionate about something, you can withstand the pain because you know that it's worth suffering for. Your passion may be getting into a house. It may be that you're getting denied all the time for a mortgage, and all you want to do is get your house into a, your family into your forever home. Or it may be trying to get into college or secondary school, whatever that may be, and you keep getting denied because of your grades or you're too scared to even apply because of your age, your financial circumstances, and you think it's impossible. Passion is what energizes you to keep applying. It energizes you to keep going, to know eventually all you need is one yes to be where you're supposed to be. 
It will be passion that continues to fuel you and help you get to the place in God that you need to be. Second, arguably one of the most important, passion needs parameters. Passion needs parameter. Passion, when prioritized properly, has the power to change your life for the better. However, unbridled passion has the ability to make your life harder and it makes getting what you want take longer. Think about it. The only thing worse than somebody with no passion is somebody with unbridled passion. They do too much. Everybody, we call him extra. He's always doing something. She always got something to say. That's the sort of thing that's really hard to deal with, right? Passion, unbridled, makes more problems for your future. Not only that, passion, unbridled, even if you're a good person, has the ability to give you a bad reputation. People don't want to work with the person who can't get it done. People don't want to work with people who are always saying something, who are always making it hard for everybody else. Think of Peter. I'm going to pick on Peter for a little while. Peter has an amazing legacy in the Christian tradition. Peter, uh, upon this rock I will be in my church, Peter. Peter, the one who knew who Jesus was before anybody else did. But Peter also has a reputation for flying off the handle. Peter always getting into something. Peter always starting something with somebody. Peter always getting into trouble. Right? We see Peter cutting a soldier's ear off for just touching Jesus. Right? And then Jesus has to say, Peter, hey, Put your sword down. You need to calm down, buddy. Peter also is trying to rebuke Jesus from dying. Jesus is telling the disciples, it is time that I go. I will have to die. I have to be crucified. I will have to suffer for your gains. And Peter says, you ain't got to do nothing. You ain't got to die. And Jesus says, get behind thee, Satan. So remember, passion out of place will put you out of place. Third, Passion has the ability to push you past fears. Once again, we see good old Peter in the middle of the story, starting some stuff up. Right after Jesus feeds the 5,000, Jesus goes up by himself to the mountain to pray. And the disciples are in the boat in the middle of the sea waiting for him. And the storm erupts on the sea. And they see this ghost-like figure. Everybody's freaking out because, of course, you would freak out if you saw somebody walking on water. And Peter takes his mouth and says, hey, you know what? I think he's a ghost. But the voice says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. So Peter tests him. He says, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come. I found this to be very interesting in my personal studies. um, Because what happens in that moment is Peter understands that he is so in love with Jesus and he knows the object of his passion so well that if Jesus commands him to come, everything inside of him will have to go as it once did. Everything will have to come with him. If Jesus says, go, I know I have to go. And once again, Jesus said, come, and Peter once again got out of the boat. I wish the story ended there. It's triumphant. Peter is the Example of what it means to follow Jesus, but as we all know, if anybody's ever read this story, you know that the story doesn't end there. A few words later, we see that Peter begins to sink. Peter begins to sink after this big, great leap of faith. What happens is Peter smells the sea salt. He feels the mist 
on his face. He hears the sound of chaos below his feet, and it becomes louder than his passion for Jesus, and he begins to sink. So the question I have for us today is what happens when our passion fails? What happens when we do all that we can do to get it done? What happens when we give all that we can give to make sure that it happens? The answer is Jesus' passion will fill the gaps for your own. The passion of Christ will once again make intercession in your life and pull you out of whatever pit you're in and stop you from drowning and once again put you on a solid rock to stand. We see this time and time again in Scripture when our passion fails. Peter, once again, picking on Peter. Peter denies Jesus three times, vehemently denies Jesus, the object of his passion, his everything, his eternal familiarity. He denies him three times. When Jesus is being prosecuted, a woman comes up and says, hey, 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 aren't you that guy who's with Jesus all the time? And he says, no, 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 sis, you got the wrong one. That wasn't me. And she says, no, no, I've seen you while he was going through the city healing. And he says, no. You didn't see me. It must be somebody else. And she says, no, it's you. And he says, no, it ain't me. And he says, if it is me, let my arms be thrown into the sea and all this other stuff happened to my family. He goes on to curse himself to deny Jesus. And once he realized what he did, he denied his passion. He denied everything inside him, everything that he cared about. The Bible says that he wept. The Bible talks about crying, but it says that he wept, which means it was a whole bunch of snot, big crocodile tears, big, ugly, nasty crying, right? The sort of crying that you do at a Forrest Gump crying, right? Peter was weeping. He was bawling. But how many of us have denied our passions? It's real easy to pick on Peter when you see that he denies Jesus in his face. But how many times have we denied Jesus, the object of our passion, our everything? I think it's more than three times. I know it's definitely more than three times for me. I know there have been times in my life when people have asked me, hey, you're a Christian, right? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, you know, I'm spiritual, right? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you've done that before. How many times have you denied your passion for the sake of not being criticized, yeah, I believe this, but I understand what you're saying. Uh, that makes sense, too. These are easy ways to deny Jesus and to deny your passions. And we have to be careful not to harp too hard on Peter. We have to remember that although he did this, we've done it way more than three times. I would argue many of us have done it more than ten times. But here comes the gospel. Here it is out loud, in your face, on your road. Here's the gospel for today. Even when we deny Jesus, he will do the same thing for us that he did for Peter. And that is, he stays with you. Even when you've denied him, Jesus says, nope, I know, but I'm not going to quit on you. I'm not going to quit on your purpose. I'm not going to quit on your life. The Bible says in Philippians, one of my favorite verses, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful 
to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And because your Lord and Savior is not going to quit on you, he's going to give you multiple chances to renew your passion and restore and recommit your life to Jesus. For Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, 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 I love you. He says, no, no, no. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. And he says for a third time, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? And Peter becomes disheartened because he doesn't understand what's happening. Jesus is giving him the opportunity to reaffirm his commitment to him. Jesus is giving him the option to make the slate clean. You've denied him three times, and now you can affirm him three times, and you can go on living a new life of purpose as the cornerstone of the church. It may look different for us. We may not have the opportunity to reaffirm and to reconnect with Jesus face-to-face right now. It may be, instead of calling ourselves spiritual, to make sure that we don't get any sort of a backlash in our conversations, is that we go ahead and say, no, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. I am indeed a Christian. It doesn't mean what you think it means a lot of the times. We're not mean. We're not ugly. And we won't just go by in the middle. We're Christians, and we believe what we believe. Not only that, it may have the opportunity for you to love somebody you haven't loved before. One thing that's hard, even for Christians, is to love folk that get on your nerve. Just because you're a Christian don't mean people ain't going to get on your last nerve. And God is telling you, nope, you find something to love about them. I found something to love about you. I can find, you can find something to love about them also. Make the point to love somebody. It may be there's been a person on the corner of your street asking for money for the past three weeks, and every time you seem to not have cash. You seem to look straight ahead and not make eye contact. Maybe this time you buy them some food. Maybe this time you provide a care package for them with a Bible in it. Maybe it looks like you giving them a ride to wherever they need to go. God cares about how you recommend, and he will give you more than one opportunity. Lastly, it may often be the opportunity to raise our hands in church. Maybe everything on the inside of you wants to raise your hands and shout to the Lord with all that you have and all that you are, but you don't think that's what we do. It's what you do. It's what your passion calls you to do. That's who you are. That is one way to do that. But let me end this sermon by saying this. Let your passion for Jesus be your North Star. Let your passion navigate you through the highways and byways of life. Let your passion for Jesus guide you in your interactions with people, how you love people who have been deemed unlovable, how you preach the gospel whenever you get the opportunity, how you live for Jesus publicly and out loud, ready to give an answer for your faith, and how you spend your precious time on this earth. And let me make this last point. Remember that it is not your passion that got you to Jesus, but it was his. And it is his eternal passion for you that will keep you in times of trouble. It's his passion for you that will make sure that you don't fall. It will make sure that you are preserved in pure beauty to live and enjoy an eternal life with him in glory. 
It is his passion who will make sure that your life turns out the way he intended. Even when your passions fail, his won't. And this is best seen in the conclusion of the book of Jude. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and ever. Amen. So the band's going to play, and we're going to give you an opportunity to recommit your passion. You can come down to the altar. You can pray. You can have somebody pray over you. Take this moment now that our church and the altar is open. It is all for you. It's not your passion, but it's his. Amen.